Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Today, we have a wonderful program lined up for you today. I know I say that about every show, but this one's extra special. We're going to be chatting with James Corbett of thecorbettreport.com. He is a very extensive researcher and puts out a whole lot of really powerful content that really breaks down some of this crazy stuff that we're experiencing in the world and breaks it down in a really consumable fashion because it's really important to be able to wrap our heads around this stuff, not just to freak out about it or to feel disillusioned, but uh, importantly, to figure out how we can navigate the world that we find ourselves in and how we can insulate ourselves from this tyranny and the COVID tyranny, the Great Reset technocracy and all that jazz. Uh, before we get on to the interview, I want to invite you to uh, subscribe to the podcast over at livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. As you know, big tech is pulling down podcasts and radio programs and YouTube channels, and we'd like to stay in touch with you via email or subscribing to the RSS feed. Again, that's livefreenow.show. And uh, James Corbett's website is CorbettReport.com. That's Corbett with two T's. Lots of really good podcasts and videos on here going back several, over a decade. So a lot of great content for you to figure out what's going on in the world. All right. Well, without further ado, let's bring our guest in today, James Corbett. How are you? I'm doing as well as can be expected under the circumstances, which is, I think is all we can say at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're all doing the best we can, but there's an awakening and simultaneously there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. So it's definitely interesting times uh, to be alive. So um, I've been familiar with your work for quite some time, but maybe we could start with you just introducing yourself to the audience if they're not familiar with uh, some of the work that you've done. I know you've been at it for quite some time. So, yeah. How'd you get into this line of work in the first place? Well, I started uh, at CorbettReport.com. I started the website in 2007, and it was an outgrowth of the research that I really started. I started down the rabbit hole, as they say, in 2006. Uh, around the fifth anniversary of 9-11 was exactly the time that I moved into a new apartment here in Japan. And for the first time in several years, I had internet in my apartment. So, oh, okay, now I can browse to my heart's content. And me being politically interested and motivated, I started looking at mainstream kind of stuff. I mean, even Colbert show and, uh, the, you know, the daily show and that kind of stuff, um, on, on YouTube back in the day when YouTube was the wild west and pretty much anything went. And I was looking at documentaries and things along those lines, kept getting these related videos about nine 11 truth and the sidebar of YouTube way back in the day. And thinking, oh, that's that's silly nonsense conspiracy stuff. Like, I know conspiracies happen. I know JFK wasn't assassinated by a lone nut, but 9-11, that's a bit far out there. But I was intrigued enough to click on one or two, and some of them were stupid about flying orbs taking down the towers and what have you. But some of them were genuinely intriguing about facts that I never knew before that were documentable that I could verify for, my, for myself, like Operation Northwoods. Oh, that that was a real thing. Oh, I can actually read the document. Oh, wow. They really were planning to stage terror attacks and blame it on the political. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I started down that research rabbit hole. And of course, it's the snowball rolling downhill. Once I finally got to the mon monetary system, the Federal Reserve, how money really functions, where it comes from. Once I started down that particular rabbit hole, then the bigger penny started to drop. Oh, okay. I, I see. There's a much bigger picture going on. And the discrepancy between the stuff that I was learning and independently verifying for myself versus what I had been taught my entire life and seen reflected in the mainstream media, that discrepancy was so large that I thought, well, 
I have to do something about this. I have to insert myself into this conversation because I know they're the people who control this media are not going to do it for me. Mm-mm. And this is the internet age. So I'll start a website. I just, I mean, and it's really one of the few things in life I've done that's spontaneous and just, I had to do it and I got out there and I did it. And I'm glad I did because I never in a million years would have guessed that I would be sitting here now in 2020, again, from my living room in Japan, talking to hundreds of thousands, occasionally millions of people around the world. It's crazy. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And you've done a whole lot of good work for quite some time. And I think in having that time and wisdom, it's probably easier for you to connect the dots nowadays and kind of see like, oh, we've seen this before, yet yet another pattern. So I really appreciate that. And I want to spend some time tonight picking your brain um, in the context of better understanding what we're up against so we can insulate ourselves and strategically try to navigate around it outside the city as the World Economic Forum has uh, has referenced before. So um, why don't we just start by getting the elephant uh, in the room out of the way. Can you tell me how you describe the Great Reset? What, how would you describe it in like an elevator pitch? Uh, the Great Reset is essentially a marketing ploy for a very old plan. It has been referred to uh, time and time again as the New World Order or things like that. But that's that's a bit 20th century kind of rhetoric. No, we need a new branding package for the same old globalist ideas. Let's call it the Great Reset and couple it with the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is a term that was coined by the same people who are trying to coin this Great Reset term and put it into circulation, namely Klaus Schwab and his associates at the World Economic Forum. And essentially, it's about global control of the human population on a scale never before imaginable or possible or feasible through technological means as well as economic and monetary means to essentially control the human population and eventually, long term, ultimately bring the human population down to a more manageable level and replace the human population with robots and automation, which sounds like crazy sci-fi stuff, unless you actually follow the news, the headlines, read the white papers, and actually read the materials that they document about the Great Reset at the World Economic Forum website. Yeah, and it does really sound far-fetched. And there's that old quote by uh, Goebbels, I think, where it's like, the bigger the the bigger the lie, the harder it is for people to disbelieve it. And um, so let me ask you this. The World Economic Forum, they're just putting all that information out there. And everything that you just shared, while it does sound really far out there, it's all written in their own words, right? And now the masses never bother to go dig that up, or even if they found it, I'm, I don't know that they'd be able to understand it, the, you know, the average person. But it seems like now and now, nowadays, more and more, it's an open conspiracy. Can you share kind of how it's been an evolution or a devolution away from the secret society roundtable groups and like the Milner group in the early days? And now it's just kind of out and open in your face. Is that what you've seen as well? It, it certainly is. And I've documented this over the years in many different forms. So it's no surprise to me to see it rolling out this way. It, they're following a propagandistic technique that's been used for a very long time, which is to deny, 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 deny. And then when something becomes undeniable because it's out in the open, suddenly it becomes, well, of course, that's the way it works. How could it work any differently? You're stupid for believing otherwise. And that's exactly how this is functioning. Uh, it, this, of course, as you say, is an open conspiracy because there is nothing secret 
Oh, well, there, I'm sure there are agendas at play that are beyond what they are saying out in the open, but they are saying out in the open and are, as I say, trying to brand this to sell it to the public with the great reset nomenclature. But uh, as I say, these are very old ideas about globalist control. Now, uh, the way that that propaganda functions in this particular uh, context is interesting because I'm sure people have seen over the last few months, the mainstream corporate press have been trying to say the Great Reset, that's a conspiracy theory, where that's a bizarre way of trying to cast this aside because not only is politician after politician after politician coming out and using this very nomenclature to discuss what's happening, build back better, Great Reset, all of these terms that are being seeded in the public consciousness right now, but it's perfectly researchable by anyone who spends three seconds to look at the World Economic Forum website that has an entire page devoted to the Great Reset. They have a Great Reset podcast. Yeah. They have a Great Reset book. There is entire, they have Great Reset live streams and YouTube broadcasts. No, how is this conspiracy theory in the pejorative sense as in some outlandish thing that's not happening. No, that's ridiculous. So of course there's the second order propaganda that buttresses that for people who are actually smart enough, actually have enough brain cells left to, uh, to rub together to research something for themselves and find out that something is true. Well, no, the second order of propaganda, the fallback line is, well, yes, of course there is the great reset. I mean, yes, they're talking about that, but it's not a bad thing. They're just talking about transitioning us to stakeholder capitalism and saving us from this dreaded COVID-19, etc. cetera. Uh, there's nothing untoward about it. Until you start to hear Klaus Schwab in his own words talking about the fusing of our physical, biological, and digital identities in the fourth industrial revolution and, and how this is going to change what it means to be human. Excuse me, what? Who elected this person president of the world, the emperor of humanity? What, what's going on here? Again, I think it's uh, people who have enough critical thinking skills to see through the blather and rhetoric about inclusion and equality and all the other buzzwords that they're throwing out right now will see that there's something much, much more profound and deeply disturbing than they're letting on. But of course, the propagandists are going to propagandize and they're going to yeah. say, no, nothing to see here. It's it's perfectly above board. Yeah. And, and what they're what they're wanting to do is really an affront to humanity. Here's an article. I'm sure you're familiar with it. This is one that I like to point out to people who so we can kind of show like this is where this is going. Right. 2030 is their big goal. I want to talk with you also about the 2030 agenda. But this is from the World Economic Forum's own website. It's also been picked up in other mainstream publications. Here's how life could change in my city by the year 2030. Actually, hold on. Hold on one second. Can you uh, can you ho hover your cursor over that browser tab for me all right let me put it up here all right here yep and uh oh it doesn't it doesn't automatically come up with the full title the full title is welcome to 2030 i don't own anything but i'm happy something along those yeah. lines that was the original title of the article uh -huh. it has since been changed because <laughs> it was drawing too much attention that's another sign that something is a little bit wonky here but yes uh -huh. you can still see it in the browser tab However, of course, go to the author's note that they have inserted uh, since this point. Uh, you'll see that there's an author's note to say, some people have interpreted this as my vision of utopia, but it is not. And that's right at the top and bottom of the article. <laughs> Man. Yeah, you're right. Some people have read this blog as my utopia or dream of the future. It is not. It is a scenario showing where we could be heading for better or for worse. And of course, they're the ones steering it there. But yeah, it's like, I've never been happier there's no more property. Let me just read this first part here. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city? I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. And then they go on to say, I have no privacy. 
It's absolutely yeah. And uh, when you read it in its context, to be fair, I I do believe that the author was doing this tongue in cheek or or at least nodding to the fact that you know there are some serious problems that could develop in a society like this but obviously it is it is saying this is where we're heading and mm-hmm. there are great things and you know maybe some things we should be concerned about but the only conversation is about how best to roll this out on society that you will literally you'll own nothing but don't mm-hmm. worry guys you'll be taken care of and that's that's i think the the underlying message of the propaganda around covid-19 specifically is the swaddling arms of the biosecurity state that's coming in to keep us safe if you just stay home and avoid all physical human contact the government will do the rest and keep you safe and we'll provide stimulus that will turn into UBI which of course will be delivered through your fed wallet as we introduce the central bank digital currencies and yes it'll require a bit of compliance you'll have to get your vaccines etc in order to show that you're taking care of society but don't worry we'll take care of you and this is the nightmare if people don't see where this is heading then uh they may already be lost yeah and the technology and the surveillance has a lot to do with the with the fourth industrial revolution can you share a little bit about the role that fear how fear is being used in order to manipulate people and maybe draw some parallels to what we experienced after 9-11 fear is the mind killer as uh frank herbert uh observed in dune of course but it uh it absolutely is the control paradigm it has been for a very long time, but demonstrably, palpably so in the 21st century from the foundational event of our century, 9-11, or what was the foundational event, which is now being eclipsed by the biosecurity event of 2020. But yes, of course, fear was the base level of the propaganda, which kept the public in that uh, reptile brain response of how to keep me safe, anything to keep me safe, which is precisely why the Patriot Act, for example, was passed rushed through Congress before a single congressperson had the chance to even begin reading it, let alone the the millions of pages of laws that it changed and referred to, etc. Of course, that was already ready to go, uh, as Biden himself has bragged about. It was his. It was based on his 1994 proposed bill. They just kind of dusted it out, dusted it off, and uh, brought it up to date. But yeah, it was already ready to go. All they needed was a spectacular, a, a catalyzing event, as the Project for a New American Century might have put it, um, to to foist that on the public. And 9/11 was that golden ticket. It was also the golden ticket for NSPD nine, National Security Presidential Directive nine, which was the first major national security directive of the Bush administration that was on Bush's desk ready to go, ready to be signed on September 4th, 2001, seven days before 9-11. It was the invasion plan for Afghanistan. As Rumsfeld later said, yeah, we just basically updated it with a preface to acknowledge the events of 9-11 and passed it in October. And uh, there you go. There's the invasion of Afghanistan. Uh, There were so many boxes ticked, obviously, by that foundational event, but also the seeds for the next foundational event were already being laid on that same day, September 4th. 2001, front page, New York Times, Judith Miller. Yes, that Judith Miller broke the story. Who would have guessed it? You know, America actually has this biological weapons program going on that may test the limits of the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty, uh, which, of course, does ban research into offensive biological weapons. But don't worry, guys. The U.S. version is just for defensive purposes, looking into how to weaponize anthrax and other agents in order to better combat. uh, If that happens to us, we can defend ourselves against it. 
honest guys. And then you get uh, researchers like uh, uh, Russian defectors who uh, were working on weaponizing anthrax, who defected over to uh, the UK, uh, brought into Port and Down by Robert Kelly, who end, uh, ends up dying just within weeks of the anthrax attacks themselves, which at the time, of course, they were trying to say, secret sources are telling us that there's these uh, anthrax spores were weaponized with bentonite, a key signature of the Iraqi anthrax program and Saddam Hussein. Uh, I mean, you know, that I, I want to say retracted, but that actually that story uh, reported by Brian Ross of ABC. Yes, that Brian Ross uh, was not never retracted. There was never any clarification. The bentonite was totally wrong. 100 percent that disappeared from the uh, from the airwaves. But if, by 2003, people were still blaming Iraq for anthrax or at least the insinuation was there. Their biological weapons. We all remember Colin Powell holding mm -hmm. Uh, up the vial at uh, the UN. So and the yellow uh, that negotiation was there. It led to the uh, the never-ending war on terror, which has basically coasted us through the past couple of decades and brought us to the doorstep of this new foundational event, which is, of course, based on biosecurity. And you better believe there will be bioterror events in the future that will be blamed on some shadowy terror group that somehow in their basement cave in the hills of Tora Bora cooked up this incredible new bioweapon and we'll all have to take the vaccine in order to combat it. Again, we can see how this is playing out and it is all based on fear, lies, and propaganda. So in the 9-11 truth movement, we had these terms, my hop, and lie hop made it happen on purpose, like it was a false flag, controlled demolition, the intelligence agencies had something to do with its shadow government, or let it happen, like Condoleezza Rice knew about it, determined to attack within the United States, and they let it happen to leverage it. What is your opinion? We may never know, but there is evidence out there. What's your opinion on SARS-CoV-2 and the COVID-19 thing? Do you think it's a my hop, made it happen on purpose, or a lie hop? Or a high hop helped it happen on purpose. Okay. There could be a, an actual plot that's going on that, well, you see that plot happening and you help the agents of that plot along. That's kind of like a my hop, but there's different elements to it. Again, I think the distinctions here are, are, are useless except for some period in the future where we have something approaching a justice system and we can actually bring the perpetrators to trial or something along those lines. I very much hope we will achieve that at some point, but this is not the point. And all that kind of rhetoric does is divide people who should be united on the fundamental plot that's happening, unfolding right now, undeniably so. We should all be focusing our energies on avoiding that. The, everything that we think about what's going on right now is going to be speculative to some extent. We do not have an actual justice system where we can really subpoena people and actually get to the bottom of what's going on. So all this will do is divide people. Personally, I think that if there is a smoking gun of uh, this event, the way there were smoking guns like WTC's out, WTC 7 on 9-11, it would be event 201. I think it is highly interesting that the World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates, Johns mm -hmm. Hopkins were involved in a simulation of a globally spreading coronavirus in October of 2019, exactly as the Wuhan games were playing out. All of this, I mean, it's just, you couldn't write a script more unbelievable than what actually documentably happened there. 
Um, but having said that, I'm not wedded to it. Uh, in fact, you might just say that the, the those types of events and simulations, not just Event 201, but the other ones hosted in, uh, by the same people, including Dark Winter, which took place a couple of months before the anthrax attacks, mm -hmm. simulating a smallpox attack on America, using some of the very people who would then be involved in the response to the anthrax attacks and COVID-19, yeah. uh, other events that they've uh, they've hosted as well, show that there has been the laying of an infrastructure for exactly what is happening right now. So regardless of whether it was released, whether it was some sort of bioweapon, whether it was a plan, or whether it was completely natural, they could still use it as an excuse for ramping up the very types of uh, draconian martial, medical martial law scenarios that they've been wargaming out for decades. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it was done on purpose or not. It does for the purpose of bringing justice yeah. at some point in the future. But for our purposes today, in the middle of this, we have to show they have been using, laying the groundwork to take total control over uh, entire swaths of what we think of as the government in exactly this type of scenario. And they are pushing that button hard right now with all their might. And it is not about a disease. It is not about keeping us safe. It is about transitioning, uh, transition, transitioning us through the Great Reset into the Fourth Industrial Revolution towards the end of humanity as we know it. This is not a joke. This is not a test. Red sirens flashing right now. All signs go. We have to resist this with everything we have right now. Right on. So in in your understanding of the Great Reset and the goals of the Great Reset and the world that the World Economic Forum and other other groups want to create by 2030, that's their target date. How do you view the COVID-19 response as playing into that and helping to further that? And what areas do you see this happening? Uh, well, as uh, as I have stressed time and time again throughout my 9-11 research, follow the money, um, because that is a good way of seeing and understanding what is happening. And in this particular case, it's going to, I think, ultimately be even more apparent, because as I've just pointed out uh, on my podcast, I did a podcast on Bretton Woods 2, that we are being prepped for a new Bretton Woods moment, invoking the specter of Bretton Woods, the conference held towards the end of World War II, that helped establish the monetary paradigm, the monetary world order for the the latter half of the 20th century, although it, of course, it fell apart in 1971 when Nixon delisted uh, the dollar, delinked the dollar from gold. But uh, it has persisted because of the petrodollar and because of other ways of kicking that can down the road. But they are now trying to transition us into the next monetary paradigm, which will probably involve some sort of international international unit of uh, reserve uh, currency an SDR, special drawing rights administered by the IMF or something like that, and will definitely involve central bank digital currencies. Uh, again, people should see my report on that for more information about what that means. But similarly, I think we can look at the monetary, uh, what is pl taking place economically, monetarily, and financially right now for an understanding of what this is really about, which again is not about the government caring of so much about your 87-year-old grandma that we're going to lock down the entire economy. And oh, by the way, declare Amazon and Walmart and all of the big corporate mega uh, companies as the essential services, whereas Adamson Barbecue in Toronto and the gyms in New Jersey and other small businesses. Of course, you have to close. People might have seen trending on social media recently, a, uh, I believe it was from California, a small restaurateur who had 
who was complying with all the rules and had her little open space set up under the tent, but was declared, no, this is unsafe. We're going to have to lock down again. You have to close. And immediately, 10, 10 yards away from where she had been set up, they had a new government-approved setup for a movie production. You guys, the movie production crew can eat over here. That's totally safe. But people eating in your restaurant, nope, that's prohibited. That is what this is about, is about transitioning us away from an economy where we have an ability to survive mm -hmm. without relying on the teat of government or mega corporations. And unfortunately... A lot of people aren't understanding that is the base level of what's happening right now. And we have to recognize that so that we can take the only steps that are actually going to work against this agenda, which is uh, refusing. I don't care if you tell me I can't open my doors. I'm opening my doors. We are going to continue our business at our level in our communities with our real uh, people around us, and we're not going to give in to this mega corporation state, uh, fascist state that you're trying to bring in. Yeah. Yeah. The time for nonviolent resistance is now. And there's a guy with a bar in Staten Island. Those guys are going pretty hard. He's already been arrested twice. So kudos to him. You know, it's, it's, you got to put some skin in the game when things get so serious. And it's not just the tyranny that we're experiencing now and the tyranny that we've been experiencing, especially since 9 11, but even before with the drug war. It's also that we see what's coming down the pike with the Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset. So that should inspire us even more, more to act. So you mentioned about the financial changes, taking people's control over their financial life away, giving it to the larger firms, giving it to the central institutions, the central banks. Uh, how also might people's day-to-day -day lives shift, for example, in how they work and how people are going to be, there's going to be less uh, town square, there's going to be less meetups, there's going to be less business meeting and travel. And it seems like the fourth industrial revolution, a big part of it is getting people into the virtual reality, getting people back at home behind their computers. What are some of your insights on that? Uh, people who are interested in that might want to check out a propaganda watch video that I did recently about after the virus, the world of 2025, which was a, uh, a an interesting report that was just put out. Uh, I'm going to forget the name of the institution uh, that did it, Cogn Cognizant, but they have specifically a center for the future of work or something along those lines, um, in which they envisioned okay, it's the year 2025, what did the last five years look like? And they even, as I played in um, my uh, video there, they, they have this video of uh, a round table of people discussing this again from the perspective of 2025. Uh, that shows you, I think, at least propagandistically, where the business community, the mega corporate international business community is looking to take things from here. And it paints, I would think, a pretty grim picture of the future of humanity. People basically ensconced in their homes, working from home, separated from other people, afraid largely to go outside of their house without their bottle of disinfectants in hand. But as Cognizant points out, well, there's a business opportunity for, you know, the new sanitizing companies that will arise as a result of this and that sort of thing. Um, but essentially, that is the vision of humanity. And don't worry, we'll get used to it. You'll be able to play board games with your family, you know, and halfway around the country because you'll be doing it virtually online. And it'll be, we'll just get used to how these things 
things operate. Uh, it, yeah, and they may be right. They are going to try to condition us into this, which is why, again, we have to be resisting on the very points that they are insisting on, that human contact is somehow suddenly verboten. That, that probably gives an indication that human contact actually is important to have physical, real world, meet space communities of people who can meet, speak face to face and share ideas in a way that isn't moderated by the invisible middleman of big tech which is being inserted directly in the middle of all our relations, including John, you and I speaking right now through the big tech behemoth, because what else are you gonna do? We don't have physical communities in the real world anymore. And now, I mean, just think of all of the things, all of the wonderful technologies they're coming up with right now about deep, deep fakes and everything else in order to insert whatever they like into our relations with other people, um, AI algorithmic bots and what have you, in order to keep us apart from each other, keep us fighting with each other, um, making us so that we can't differentiate real from fake. Uh, you don't have your eyes and, and senses to rely on in the digital world. All you can do is trust what you see on the screen, mm -hmm. question mark. Well, that is the world that they want. And for obvious reasons, that is the ultimate tyrant's dream, to be able to control reality for everyone and keep them from discussing it with each other. That is what every tyrant throughout history yeah. has tried to do. Well, they are trying to do it now. Yeah. Um, I just want to throw out just a picture for everyone to see. This was a uh, meeting that we had two nights ago. There was over 50 people, around 50 people in attendance. It was a freedom cell meeting here in central Texas. So while, you know, the majority of people are going along with the program, there's still a lot of us out there that see through it and we're shaking hands and we're hugging and we're not wearing masks and we're spreading germs amongst one another and we're living the good life. I want to talk more about solutions because that was a Freedom Cells meeting. I know you're familiar with that. You've had uh, Derek on. Thank you so much for helping to promote that. Um, your interviews with him about that topic have led to some pretty big growth within the network. I want to get more into solutions here in a moment. But uh, can you talk about blockchain? And you did this great video called the Bitcoin PSYOP. And at first when you started it, I was like, what do you mean PSYOP? And I even had that thing because I'm partial to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and, and blockchain technology. But you point out the differences between them. And there's even more differences like with Monero, a privacy coin that can't be um, decrypted, at least now, and Bitcoin and then Fedcoin, like you said. Can you tell us your view on blockchain and speak to how it simultaneously can liberate people, give them privacy, give them control over their wealth, their information? And at the same time, the World Economic Forum, these tax exempt foundations, these big players are using it to set up the central banks to set up a digital blockchain identity where they can do the mark of the beast shutting on and shutting off. Can you share your, your view on that? I will in just a moment, but I want to go back to something that you said there when you're talking about your uh, physical real life meeting and shaking hands and spreading germs amongst each other. That's actually important because let's reflect on the fact, again, this is about our health and safety, but everything that they are telling us uh, to do right now in order to keep ourselves healthy and safe is the exact opposite of what you would do for good health. Uh, taking care of yourself and your system and going outside, getting fresh air and sunlight, uh, eating right, uh, and of course, interacting with other human beings mm -hmm. so that we do share germs and get used to the germs that are going around in our community to get our own immune systems built yeah. up. The immune systems that are still effective 99.8% of the time or whatever it happens to be, even if we do accept at face value SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 and everything they're telling us about it, we know that it is virtually 
and I, of course, not 100%, but virtually harmless to people who are not octogenarians on multiple, you know, systems of life support. Uh, this is a remarkably mild form of virus that they are telling us everything the opposite of what you are doing. Stay home, stay indoors, stay away from other people. Don't just take our medicines and don't, 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 don't worry about working out or anything like that. Yeah. Again, I just wanted to reflect on that because that's an important part of what's going on. Talking about blockchains, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that the Bitcoin PSYOP is a good divider for me as to people who actually watch the thing that they're uh, commenting on versus people who just look at the headline or the title and think they know what it's about. And that seems to be a good one for that <laughs> pre precise purpose. Uh, because yes, the point of the Bitcoin PSYOP is not to say that Bitcoin itself is a PSYOP, but that there is a PSYOP that runs around the entire concept, the, the entire idea of cryptocurrency, which is essentially to align all of the distinctions that can and should be made between different forms of these currencies and how they can operate and what they are and, the, and the, even the base level technology that underlies them and saying all of these terms are the same thing. Cryptocurrency, digital currency, Bitcoin, Fedcoin, Monero, uh, blockchain, all of them are just the same. And so whenever you hear any one of those terms, it all becomes one. And in the minds of the research light um, people in the conspiracy space, uh, they will just uh, sort of elide them all. Oh, it's all Mark of the Beast, whatever. I don't have to look into it, um, much to our detriment. Um, because as with everything, every tool that is in the tool belt, it absolutely can be used for good. It absolutely can be used for evil. And this is, uh, I, I'd like to say, this is why I'm not I'm certainly not a Bitcoin maximalist uh, in, in any sense. Not only do I not think Bitcoin is the one and only coin and the only thing that people should be looking into in cryptocurrency, but also because uh, I, I think cryptocurrencies can serve a particular purpose within a certain type of transaction that uh, could facilitate uh, things that otherwise could not be facilitated. But it by no means should be like this is this is the answer and this is all we need from here on out, guys. Of course not. I just as we need physical, real world communities, we need different ways to transact and interact with people in that physical, real world space. If you have to interact and transact with someone that is far removed from you geographically, then cryptocurrency may be a solution for you. But dot dot dot, you have to actually define your terms. So when you start talking about blockchain-based cryptocurrencies, what are you talking about? Well, don't worry. The Bank for International Settlements will tell you all about it. Uh, you will find a report that I linked to uh, in the Bitcoin PSYOP uh, on central bank cryptocurrencies. There's a white paper that the BIS published in 2017 where they came up with this entire taxonomy of, of uh, cryptocurrencies and different types that you could have and depending on who's the issuer and what kind of protocols do they follow. And they have this really confusing, it's not even a Venn diagram, it's like this flower diagram and things and they put different things in different places. But the, uh, the term that they were using at that time to try to sell the idea that, oh, so well, pretty soon central banks will be doing this, was central bank cryptocurrencies. But central bank cryptocurrency is, in fact, not really a thing. Because, of course, the crypto in that cryptocurrency is going to be uh, not the way I think most people would interpret that. So they have switched the nomenclature. Now it is being referred to as central bank digital currency, CBDC. And it is the very thing that was the exact opposite of everything that the uh, 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 the early promoters of cryptocurrency were 
getting excited about the the yeah. very promise of cryptocurrency was to get around the central banks to in, interact in, and transact in ways that would not be controllable by an in, uh, by a third party inserting itself in that mix well now with central bank digital currencies it's the exact opposite not only will you have the blockchain where every transaction is recorded and will be tied to an address but now that address at least can depending how it is implemented be tied directly to your Federal Reserve account or your Bank of Japan account or whatever your uh, local regional uh, central bank might happen to be, uh, they will deliver you the wallet and they will see and potentially be able to stop any and every transaction you ever make because it'll all be going through your Fed wallet. And of course, that process will take time to implement. And at first it will be, oh, here's something in addition to the cash and other forms of transactions you have. But eventually one can see very easily how this all gets merged as the digital currency becomes the only currency really. And it becomes the nightmare of total control, which is embedded in that concept of a blockchain digital currency, of course, it is recording every transaction, the time, the date, and the address is involved. But with cryptocurrency, you at least have the possibility if you do things right, it's pseudonymous. So you can, if you take 18 steps, you can transact in a way that uh, isn't uh, uh, unmaskable. Um, and you can do it through Monero or other things that are trying to uh, obfuscate and you can do it through you know the, the the types of currency exchanges that used to exist where you you put it through 17 different uh, transactions but that's of course not going to exist in central bank digital currency realm but since the public has been told that all of these things are the same thing I've been hearing about this Bitcoin thing it's really taking off oh this fed coin uh, that must be the same thing right and people will by and large accept it and don't worry as confusing and difficult as it is to get into the cryptocurrency space it will be exceptionally simple to get into the fed coin space they'll give you the wallet they'll it'll be a handy app that you download you don't have mm -hmm. to think about it your magical digital currency will appear whenever they decide you need your ubi or stimulus yeah. or whatever it is unless well you you have your vaccine certificate right you, you you've got all you've got all the mandated medicines and pharmaceuticals inside of you right oh okay then you can have your stimulus oh you didn't Oh, you said something wrong on social media? You're not getting your stimulus. Again, we know where this is going. There's no surprise whatsoever that uh, it's unfolding this way. Yeah, I've seen some research. There's a woman named Allison McDowell. She does Wrench in the Gear. She does a lot of really in-depth. I'm blown away by the depth of her research. But there's, the, there's this tokenization concept that rides along with cryptocurrencies and blockchains. And so some of the work that people are, are focusing on and that they're pushing things towards is you have your blockchain based digital identity and there's where you get your UBI for currency. And of course it can be turned off, but it's also the tokenization gives you access to public transportation, for example. So the perfect use case would be you get a green token for having taken the COVID vaccine or having tested positive and being immune. And it, you have to have that token in order to gain access to the door on the subway. And that token can be taken away or other things can be taken away. So it's it's just a trip because I've been into crypto for quite some time. And I remember doing a podcast like Bitcoin's many uses, you know, like six or seven years ago. I wasn't really thinking that was going to be one of them. But uh, and again, it's not going to be blockchain. But let's uh, let's spend the rest of the program talking about solutions. So I'm always excited. I've been a big proponent of agorism for a while, and I'm super stoked to see big names like yours. Jack Spear goes into agorism as well, the Survival Podcast. So can you share your understanding of agorism and 
the potential that agorism, revolutionary market anarchism has to throw a wrench in the gears of this great reset agenda? Well, as I've been saying, it's not difficult to see where this is heading. And it's not difficult to see the reasons that it is heading in that direction, because everything that the the Great Reset is predicated on, on is centralization, which is perfectly obvious and understandable. There's nothing really difficult to wrap your head around. There are a technocratic priest class, essentially, that have pointed themselves emperor of the universe who want to be able to control every transaction, every interaction between every human on the planet, as every tyrant throughout history, as I'm sure has lusted after, but that is now becoming technologically feasible through centralization of control in the digital space. And if they achieve that, then they get their wish. And there's very little that the human species will be able to do in terms of resistance once that control has been consolidated and the, the, the structures, the infrastructure for that centralization uh, is in place. It's going to be exceptionally difficult to fight our way out of it, which is why, of course, everything that we should be doing right now should be geared towards the exact opposite. And what's the opposite of centralization? It's decentralization. It is interacting peer-to-peer directly with other people, whether that be digitally, but hopefully as well in real life, physically in communities that are forming right now because of the shared understanding of what is happening. And you pointed out earlier that there's a lot of craziness happening at the same time as this great awakening of whatever sort is happening that people are starting to understand. And I've seen that myself more and more. I've gotten more feedback from new listeners and people who've just found my work because of the craziness that's happening. Well, we have to take advantage of that and form communities of interest because nothing, no matter what monetary system or currency or idea you have or whatever kind of fancy um, system you come up with, there, if you don't have a community that underlies that, then it's it doesn't work. It does not work. Community is the bedrock of it. You have to be in community with other people um, in order for any of this to function properly. And thankfully, it is becoming easier to understand that, uh, I mean, the battle line is being drawn and people are deciding what line they're on. So we'll at least, this is a sorting event of some sort. And Mm -hmm. I I know you are seeing that with Freedom Cells and more and more interest, more people signing up becoming interested in these communities. And what will those communities be based on? How will they function? Gladly, happily, I can tell you, I don't know. And nor even if I did know somehow, if I could predict what the spontaneous organization of free individuals would look like, uh, I'm not there to impose it on anyone because that's not what it's about. No, this is about voluntary interaction and transaction at the individual level with no middleman coming between. That is the Agora that we are striving towards. And we make that happen at this point in this heavily controlled society through counter economics. Anything and everything that we can do to go outside of this system of prescribed control, which is going to mean at the very base level, going outside of the dollars and yen and pesos and pounds and other monetary instruments that they are foisting on us as the legal tender, we have to do whatever we can to transact outside of that controlled system, because that, as I say, is heading to central bank digital currencies over which we have no control and over which there will be zero privacy, zero chance to avoid uh, the, the the clutches of the bankster class. So we have to start building these communities right now, and they have to be based on voluntary transactions, and they have to be based on something other than fiat currency. And uh, other than that, I, 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 
who I can't say. I'm not here to impose my will on anything. It depends on the people involved in these communities, but at least people better be thinking about it and better be looking for communities that can help support them through this. Yeah, the time is now. And um, just a plug for the Freedom Cell Network. I do this on every podcast and always relate it back to the Freedom Cells. This is the growth that we've experienced in the past several years. We now have over 7,000 people that are participating in the network and getting organized and linking up with one another. And we like to market it as an open source idea. So people can take the concept of small groups working together and do with it what they please. They can unite on parenting, alternative education, spirituality, business, entrepreneurship, whatever they please. Let me ask you this. This is something that I've had a struggle with. Um, back in the 2007, 2008 Ron Paul campaign, I had this insight after the campaign, seeing how many people voted for Ron Paul, right? He didn't get enough votes to win office, obviously. Who knows how different America would be if he had. But I noticed there was a whole lot of people that voted for the guy, a whole lot of people that believed in his ideas and his philosophy of liberty. Now, mind you, some of them were more conservative, like Ron Paul Republicans, but there was a whole lot of voluntarists and anarchists that came out of that. What is your view on how important it is to go out and wake more people up, air quotes for the podcast audience, wake people up, as opposed to taking the folks that already get it, the remnant, and spending more energy on organizing this group, working with this group, building with this group? Do you think one tactic is more important than the other? Do you think we need a multi-pronged approach? What's your view on that? Yeah, I would posit that's a false dichotomy. It is not either or, it is both and. And I think it's dependent on one a person's particular resources and abilities and their situation as to what which which of those prongs they should be pursuing more wholeheartedly. But never neglect one for the other and never say that one is important and the other is not. I can attest to my work. Again, I could have I could have very easily given up cynically years ago and said, ah, you know, I've said everything I need to say. And if people don't see it, then they're they're blind and they'll never see it. But I, then I would have missed the millions and millions and millions of people who have since that point a few years ago tuned in and seen my big oil documentary or my Bill Gates documentary and reached new people. And I know it is reaching new people. And I hear every single day from people who are saying, I just f found your Rockefeller medicine podcast. And wow, I, I had no idea. Or I, I just watched the, how big oil conquered the world. So there is use in continuing to put this message out there. In fact, I would say it's never been more important because right now you are starting to get people who for the very first time in their lives are questioning what's going on and not knowing what's, uh, what's happening. So it is important to continue outreach and education in that way. Don't stop that. At the same time, it is obviously important to foster these communities and make sure that they do develop into something that will uh, actually challenge what is happening right now in a in a comprehensive and sustainable way or in a way that actually uh, accomplishes something. So how do we do that? Well, again, there needs to be organizers and people who are coming along and helping those communities to thrive and foster and teaching them how to do the types of things they want to do, whether that's on the education basis or the monetary basis or whatever it is, survival uh, gardening or whatever. Uh, all of these things are necessary. So I never say either or I always say both and everything. Yes, yes, yes. If there is someone out there who says, you know, can we be doing this? Should we be doing this? The answer is yes. And I now appoint you the leader of that thing that you are interested in. Here's the little badge or whatever you need to feel empowered to go out there and start doing that. Uh, if you need a title, hey, put that title on your emails and call yourself the chief the chief of whatever, I don't care, just do it and uh, and stop 
questioning, stop, stop strategizing in the sense that, oh, you know, we all have to sit, sit back and wait and plan it out perfectly. And, oh, I don't know. I disagree with that. And, oh, I don't know. No, stop ninnying. This is the time to act. <laughs> and if you can do something, do it. Personally, yeah. I, I, I never in a million years dreamt I was going to be doing this. But clearly, I am an educator. I am a communicator. I am a researcher. Those are the things that I can do. I know I can do it. I do it well. I have uh, hundreds of thousands of regular supporters right now. I have millions of people that I've reached. I'm going to continue doing that as long as I am able to continue doing that. Um, but as I say, I don't think that's the only important thing. And everyone has their particular talent, their skill, their gift, their, their thing that they can do, whether that's writing a song, which may sound frivolous, but honestly, mm -hmm. that art and communication really are important. Whether that's programming, obviously, we need people on the inside of big tech who can derail plans or come up with new systems. We need uh, people who are in community organizations who can find ways of bringing people together on important issues. We need people who know gardening skills or basic survival skills and to be teaching that to other people. I mean, anything that you can do, do it. And don't stop, stop questioning everything. Just get out there and start doing it. Yeah, I think it's the, the powers that be or the powers that wish they were certainly coming at we free people from a multi-pronged approach, multilateral, death by a thousand cuts. So we need to push back in the same way. Well, you know, so what's your thoughts on political activism? Does that hold as one of the one of the approaches that people should take if they're into it? Or do you think engaging the system, the very system that's causing most of the problems is a fool's errand? Well, once again, I am not one to say no. Uh, and if people are inclined to act that way, then act that way in the best way you can to do what you think is important. And I'm not going to say it is, it, it, I, I'm not going to say it's unimportant or completely useless. I am not a statist. And I believe I don't want to become an efficiency manager for the state to more helpfully or make it a little bit easier for them to use violence against peaceful people uh, for their evil ends, which what government is in a nutshell, the state is there to inflict violence on pe peaceful people, extort them for their money, and then throw them in cages if they fail to comply, uh, generally so that they can bomb people around people on the other side of the earth and in the, for the benefit of their military industrial brethren and their bankster cronies. Uh, it's a system that it, it is a rigged game. You're not going to win that game ever, ever, ever. It is evil. I will not comply. I will not cooperate. I will not participate in it. Having said that, People always, well, look, I'm the visionary idealist. I, I, I care about the principles and the, uh, the, the bigger picture of things, but there is the practical day-to-day -day level. And if it means you can vote in some referendum on legalizing uh, uh, marijuana or something like that, should you vote for it? Uh, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if you feel that will be productive, then then participate in that way. If you want to organize something, if you want to run for local office because you know you can make a difference and you can change or put the brakes on this agenda, then uh, obviously I'm not telling you not to do anything. And I, in fact, on the contrary, I'd say do what you feel compelled to do, uh, but do not put all your eggs in that basket. Do not think yeah. that you are going to change this system of control through the political system, as has been observed for over a century now, if voting made any difference, it would be illegal. Mm -hmm. So yes, they are not going to give you the controls to put the brakes on the bigger agenda that's being run, uh, fronted by the World Economic Forum with their pals and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Johns Hopkins University and all these different agencies and multilateral bodies that you have zero input into directly and you will never affect with the voting lever. 
But again, having said that, there are differences that can be made on the day-to-day practical level through getting involved in politics, especially at the local level. Yeah. Uh, national uh, becomes a bit of a mess. But but on the local level, perhaps there are things to be done. And again, if you feel compelled to do that, if you know a way that you can do that and insert yourself in that, then do it. Don't Again, don't look for approval of me or anyone else. Yeah, I appreciate that just go get it done. I'm a big fan of like the success strategies and business. And that's a big part of it. Like don't overthink it. Don't over strategize it. You don't even need a business plan. Just go do it. You know, inaction is the worst thing that you can do. Yeah. So, and, and and let me just speak to that from my personal experience, because that is exactly the Corbett report in a nutshell. I never had a big plan for it. I never would it in a million years could have strategized myself into this what I have right now, this platform where I can reach hundreds of thousands, millions of people. I never could have strategized that. It was just because I, I felt I had to do it. So I went out and I did it. And it, it took a couple of months to put the website together and get everything in place. And I just started doing it. And I always tell people, don't listen from podcast number one, because it was it was <laughs> terrible. It was a bad microphone and bad setup, and it was disorganized. I didn't know how to talk in front of a microphone. It, it wasn't good, but I learned along the way. And that is essentially it. Yeah, if you the first time you put yourself out there and do something, it's probably not going to be great, but that's okay. Just do it and build it. And over time, if you put your time and energy and love into something, it will grow. And that is the point. And we have to start now because there will never be a better time than yesterday, let alone today. And certainly tomorrow, you don't know how tomorrow is going to come or what it's going to look like. So start it while you can. Yeah. They say, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the next best time right now? Let me, uh, I want to thank all the folks that are watching on Facebook and YouTube. And I especially want to thank the folks that are watching on Float, float float.app. It's a crypto voluntarist run uh, social media network. And the folks that are watching on DLive as well. We have quite a few live, way more than my normal shows. So James, you're you're a big draw. And I think it just speaks to how much much value you put out for the world. We have a question from uh, one of the Facebook viewers, Nicole Sears says, can James speak on employers mandating vaccines? Can you give some insights and advice on that front? Uh, Well, I mean, advice, I wouldn't really know uh, advice on the individual level on this particular employer because there are all sorts of things going on. But uh, it's essentially this speaks to the predicament that we are going to be placed in. I don't think that most countries are ever going to, or well, I don't, I won't say ever, but at least at first are going to mandate vaccines or mandate this or that. No, it's going to be voluntary. It's just, if you want to live, eat, work, shop, travel, if you want to do anything, you'll have to have your compliance uh, passport. And employers would be the first line of that choke point in order to um, basically choke the population into submission. Um, what is what are your options? Uh, you can certainly try to fight things legally. And uh, I think one tactic that might be fruitful in that regard is to point out that this, especially if it's regarding the COVID-19 vaccine, especially the Pfizer or Moderna experimental mRNA vaccines, we have to point out that these are experimental vaccines using an experimental technique that has never before been approved for human use and is now only being given emergency use authorization by the British government, inevitably by the FDA and the other regulatory bodies, emergency use authorization because the clinical trials of these vaccines are ongoing. They are still happening. 
uh, as I pointed out recently, I put uh, in a recent edition of New World Next Week, I put in a link to the uh, to the Pfizer clinical trial phase one, two, three uh, uh, proposal and uh, protocol that they they put out that for FDA and other to look over. And it po points out on numerous different pages. People have asked me about this because I did say it on New World Next Week, but it points out in numerous different places in that document that the end point for a number of the observations in this ongoing phase three trial is 24 months after vaccination. Well, hmm. Guess what? It hasn't been 24 months. This trial is still ongoing. And even after that point, they talk about two years after making the data from this available. So we're talking, this is this is an ongoing trial that's taking four, four years till we start getting real results from it. And they admit, even in the what was submitted by the uh, the UK government recently, they admit they do not know uh, for fertility implications. Yeah. For this vaccine, they they advise against, of course, a pregnant woman or women who are planning on becoming pregnant within the next two months or breastfeeding. Don't take this vaccine. This is an experiment, so we cannot be put in the position of being guinea pigs for an ongoing mm -hmm. experiment. It is literally against the Geneva Convention to do that. I would say that's a pretty good legal standing if you want yeah. to challenge this with your employer. But I can't say in the controlled, rigged legal system that we have that you will have actual court success with that strategy. I just think it might be one way you can challenge it, but uh, the employers have you um, by your private parts. So you, everyone, again, this is why we need a, a, agorism and counter-economics. We need to be getting off of the teat of the big corporations okay. that will be wielding this hammer over your heads for the rest of your life. Even if COVID-19 and all of this hysteria goes away, you better believe this biosecurity principle that they're instituting in society will be used in the future. So we have to get off of that teat. Yeah. And just like the UBI, the universal basic income, there's that old phrase like that, which government gives you, government can take away. And a lot of the plan is to make people wholly dependent. And you referenced earlier the lockdowns. It's an attack on small businesses. Meanwhile, the Walmarts are open. Amazon's just totally dominating right now. It's because entrepreneurship and small business ownership gives you that freedom to be in control of your own financial destiny. And while even though they're making it more difficult, I think now more than ever, especially if you're concerned about your employer dangling your income and your employment over your head uh, to try to coerce you and socially engineering you into a vaccine, entrepreneurship and finding agorist markets and us trading amongst one another, supporting one another is absolutely critical. And like you said, it comes back comes back to community. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here pretty soon, but let me just hit you with a with a couple more. Um, we were talking about before we started the show, the Great Reset kind of it's it, they're going to they're already they're doing it. They're already rolling it out. I was surprised to see some of the mechanics with the tax exempt foundations and impact investing and pay for success and like P20 pipeline. I did an interview with this woman, Julianne Romanello, about that. And it blew me away how how cunning and how advanced they are with their stuff. But let me ask you. Do you see the great, obviously we can't, we don't have a crystal ball, but do you see the great reset as something that is inevitable? They are going to find success in it. And if that's the case, how do we carve out our space? What opportunities will there be for us to exist outside of the smart cities? Do you think it's going to be like a communist thing? They're going to come round everyone up. You can't be outside the city doing your own thing. We must have a hundred percent compliance. Or do you think there's going to be opportunities for seasteads, intentional communities, us doing our own thing outside of their purview? 
Well, I don't think anything is inevitable, and it really does depend on our choices. We are not spectators in what's happening right now. We are participants, and we will shape the world that is coming into view. They, of course, want to propagandize us into thinking that we are all alone and that we have no ch chance against this agenda unfolding, but that is propaganda, and we have to see it as such. So yes, we do have a space for this, and I think there will always be spaces on the fringes for people to eke out some sort of existence apart from the system. I think they leave those types of spaces open on purpose so that they can perform their black operations and other things on the side, um, which I note when whenever I talk about the central bank digital currencies and the complete control over every transaction, there's always someone who says, well, how will they do their drug running across borders and those types of black bag operations? And I, I, that's because I think they will always leave open spaces in certain pockets where there will be that, but it will be the Moss Eisley of the, uh, of the world, essentially, you know, the, 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 the hive of scum and villainy, you know, the, the rogues, the pirates, the people you might not want to associate with, yeah. uh, there will be a definite taint to those areas of society. And, oh, I don't want to be tainted by that. So that's why, of course, we need to rush towards those places and fill them with normal, happy human interactions amongst free individuals and show what that looks like rather than, oh, those weird pirates who are doing things on the side. Uh, but those spaces will exist. And I will note that in that Ida Alkin uh, World Economic Forum editorial that you showed earlier about 20, the world of 2030, uh, at, towards the end, she talks about, you know, there's no privacy and I sometimes wonder about it, but I don't want to be like one of those people who ran out to the uh, to the woods and are living in dilapidated villages or whatever. Like she literally talks about that in that piece. Yeah, there are people outside of the system, but they're, they're the weirdos and they found a way. They live different kind of lives outside of the city. Some have formed self little self-supplying communities. Other just stayed in the empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. <laughs> So there will be those spaces. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep envisioning like it's not going to be the shanty town or some weird, obscure place with weirdos living in shacks and stuff. I envision like our free private cities, the seasteads, um, eco villages that we also con are concerned with the environment. And we also yeah. are concerned with helping lift people up out of poverty so exactly. they can have higher well, standards. Well, it is what we make it. That's the point. It is what yeah. we make it. And if we let let their propaganda change our perception of that so that it is oh, those weird abandoned villages or whatever, then that's what it becomes. But mm -hmm. if we insert ourselves into it and make it into the freedom spaces that are thriving, people will see that and will, uh, uh, yeah, some people will still be affected by the propaganda so that they can't see it. But I, I, I have faith in humanity. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be here doing this. We can we can change this course, the course that things are heading on, or at the very least, we can carve out spaces to live lives independent of this system if we have the gumption to do so and if we go out and do it. Right on. Before we let you go, will you share with us some uh, some of the work that's on the horizon for you? You got any documentaries in the works, any big uh, groundbreaking videos you're going to be putting out soon? Well, before the end of the year, I am I have one incredibly important piece that's going to be on the future of vaccines because it's extremely important for people to realize, of course, not just this mRNA vaccine, which, as I say, experimental, never before approved for human use, that will send messenger RNA into your cells to hijack your cells to start producing the spike proteins uh, associated with the, the SARS-CoV-2. What could possibly go wrong with that? Um, but it gets much creepier when you start looking into the white papers of uh, the various research projects that are ongoing into self-assembling nanowires that can be constructed by the insertion of bacteriophages and virus-like uh, nanobots and other things that are literally being worked on. There are literal white papers right now 
openly talking about this to the point where what will we'll, it will probably be called a vaccine in the future, but injectables of various sorts will be used to essentially give us something that will be there in our body and they can send updates remotely that will reconfigure our cells to start producing whatever kind of uh, new uh, spike proteins or whatever else they need at any given time. Don't worry, wow. just trust the World Health Organization. It's all been approved by your dutifully unelected health authorities. What could go wrong? Uh, it, I don't think people even are beginning to understand where this is heading right now. And I, I think that's probably going to, it maybe will end up being one of the most important reports I ever do. Um, so I really want to be careful with it, but I also want it out now as these vaccines are starting to roll out, these vaccines are starting to roll out. So that's the next important project I'm working on. Right on. Well, I want to thank you so much for participating in this interview. You have, uh, really carved out a, um, a name for yourself because you just consistently put out some really sharp content, very well researched, and it's a lot of provocative, hard to believe things, but you put it out in a manner that's very consumable and with all of the evidence. So just want to tell you to keep up the good work. You're doing a lot of good work and you're really reaching a whole lot of people. So uh, thanks for joining us again. The website is CorbettReport.com, CorbettReport.com. That's with two T's. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for talking about these important topics. And thank you for helping people to organize and do something about it, because that is going to be the key to this. Right on. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That was James Corbett. Wow. What a guy. What an interview. Such important information. And there, it seems overwhelming. But if you take the diligence and the time to look into it, you'll find that every single thing that we discussed tonight is entirely true. It's an open conspiracy. And don't feel overwhelmed and don't feel afraid because we are facing some pretty devastating odds. But we have freedom and we have the truth on our side. And if we stand up together, if we're united, and if we're bold and brave, I do feel confident that we are going to be able to find the freedom that we deserve as free, beautiful human beings. All right, this is John Bush on the Live Free Now show. Remind you to live free. Peace. Thanks.